What's shaking, Bills fans? You've made it to Bills by the numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up in the wake of the 2023 NFL Draft, we're checking to see which rounds, besides the first in the Bean McDermott era, have provided the best bang for the buck, and which positions have proven most fruitful. NFL Network's Cynthia Freeland joins us in studio to see what her analytics say on the draft. And we ask our one burning question. Is it time for OTAs yet? Happy to have you with us. Bill's Wall of Famer, Steve Tasker, Bill's insider, Chris Brown, with you. And on the heels of the 2023 NFL Draft, the Bills walked away with six prospects tied for the smallest draft hall in the Bean McDermott era. The other was 2017, which, as we know, was just McDermott at the time. Now we all know, Steve, that round one often proves to be where the best talent is taken off the board. Duh. So we wanted to look beyond the obvious there and assess... Which rounds of the draft have given the Bills the most bang for their buck in the Bean McDermott era? Since it's probably not fair to count this year's draft, we'll go to the previous six drafts. If you had to guess which round has provided the most bang for the buck, Steve, what would your answer be? I would say... Do you have a round that you like? You mean for starters? I mean, what's the criteria here? Well, I mean, it could be... I mean, you're... You're looking for a best value that you got out of a round over the course of I the last say, six years. I'd say third or fourth, maybe. Third or fourth for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I could get behind that. You got Taron Johnson and Gabe I, Davis in yeah, round four. That's pretty good. Yeah, Milano's a round fiver. Shakir's a round fiver. Um, and of course, the first and second round guys are going to hang around for a handful. Right, and of years we're not anyway. count, counting round one, really. Uh, anything from two might, to seven. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I, the closer to the top, the better. I, it, the third round is probably as good as you can get. If, you know, second or third, or third and fourth. If I got to pick two in a, in a row. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they had some some players in round three over the years: Harrison Phillips, uh, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox, Zach Moss, Spencer well, Brown. Um, <clears throat> don't don't turn your nose up at Zach Moss. We traded Wyatt Teller too, and he turned into an All Pro. Well, so we'll see. that's true, uh, and that and Wyatt Teller is a reason, Steve, why I have chosen round five that's for value. Um, there are some misses, like Nathan Peterman and Voshan Joseph, but you do have All Pro Matt Milano and two-time Pro Bowl guard Wyatt Teller, albeit in Cleveland, was where he earned those All Pros. And then you add in the promising end-of-season play from the guy you mentioned, Khalil Shakir, uh, and the round could be even more fruitful. Uh, the only other round that comes close is round four for me, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, which remarkably in six years has had just two Bills picks, Gabe Davis and Taron Johnson. That's it. We don't pick in round no, four. And we gave away our fourth this year, too. 100% they're batting. And to they got trade up. Really good ones. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting study because no two drafts are the same and it's strictly by happenstance ah, that's not, i can't say, you can't really say it's, no, it's strictly arbitrary work done because they go in with the same about the same number of players in the pool and it's my contention and i made this point before in the daily show once you get out of that first and second round the pressure's off these draft picks and they can kind of open up and go free and easy and they and they're the guys who are motivated 
internally mm-hmm. flourish anyway. Um, so you know, you get some of these guys that are first round draft picks. The expectations are too high. It's hard for them to live up to it. So they're always got that negative comment connotation, even if they right. have a nice career. Same thing with the second round. Um, sometimes you get these second rounders with a chip on their shoulder because they thought they should have gone higher, and then you know, then that propels them a little bit. But it's and and, and I this doesn't last for your entire career. Although some you know, lasted, you know, took Thurman Thomas to the Hall of Fame. He, oh, was, the, he was picked in the second on round. His couch waiting to get picked. He had a chip on his shoulder the size of the stadium. Well, I mean, Justin Shorter, who just got That's picked right. in the fifth round. He he told us on the conference call, right. when I get my chance, I'm going to tear it's, this league up. It's amazing how this entrance to the league affects guys long-term. No two guys are the same, but there are some generalities you can pull out of it, like having a chip on your shoulder. Right. I just recently saw footage from NFL Network's little teases they're putting out for NFL Network's program, Hey Rookie. Mm. And they have footage of Joey Porter Jr. sitting in the green room for the entire first round. The first round ends, and he's upset. And his dad's there, who we Joey. all know is Joey Porter, the former linebacker of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Joey's an excellent player. And he's, he's whispering in his ear, and he goes, guess what this is? He goes, this is what you use as motivation. Yeah. And yeah, you would think though a kid like well maybe but he goes the higher don't they go forget it they get these they they get a little bit entitled we've seen it with high drafted quarterbacks at different places, um, the the Cade McCowns and Chicago's the Johnny Manzels and mm-hmm. you know the Ryan Leafs and you, know, you can go down the list guys who come in and they you know that's it it it's all downhill for them from there yeah and then you got guys like what could be Joey Porter. Who comes in, or Thurman Thomas, or these guys who come in and say, oh, "Okay, I got you now. Watch this." Yeah, Joey Porter Jr. went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, where his dad played. So, even more motivation to do good. Next up is position value. If you had to guess, which two positions do you believe, Steve, have been most fruitful among Buffalo's draft choices over the last six years? First, from a volume standpoint. While you're thinking about this, the three positions with the most selections in the Bean McDermott era. All right. Got to be linebacker, corner, wideout. Um, linebacker, yes. Wide receiver, yes. Cornerback, yes. You are three for three. So wide receiver, here's the rundown. Zay Jones, Gabe Davis, Isaiah Hodgins, Austin Prohl, Khalil Shakir, Marquez Stevenson, Ray-Ray McLeod, Justin Shorter. Corner, Taron Johnson, Dane Jackson, Saran Neal, Rashad Wild Goose, Christian Benford, and um, the new kid, uh, Alex Austin. Alex Austin. We're not counting first-rounders, in case people want to shout at, the, at their uh, radios yeah. right now saying, what are you doing you forgot Tredavious White. We're not counting first-rounders. Even Tremaine Edmonds out of that mix. Yeah. Linebacker, Milano, Tanner Vallejo, Voshan Joseph, Terrell Bernard, Balin Spector, Dorian Williams. That's a lot of guys. Yeah, I, I think the position value is corner. Yeah. I think it's corner. Well, I'll say this. They got a bunch of really good corners. 
They know how to pick corners. Oh, and I didn't even put Kyrie Elam on there. Right. Oh, they, he's a first rounder. Yeah. They got They got. They know how to pick those guys. Yeah. And but, coach them up too, obviously. But but from value standpoint, yes, Zay Jones is still a starter in this league. Yes, Gabe Davis is a regular in the rotation at receiver. Isaiah Hodgins is still in the league for the Giants. Uh, Khalil Shakir is showing promise. Ray Ray, Ray, McLeod. Ray McLeod's a return man in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, despite all of that, though, Taron Johnson is a force. Yeah, he is a He's force. Been, he has at been his position. An incredible surprise. And Dane Jackson is. He's probably on a par, uh, maybe not quite the same level as a Gabe Davis is for this offense, but he's not far off. Yeah. Um, Saran Neal is on a second contract as a special teams ace on this football team. Yeah. And then you got Benford. So, and then, you know, we got to wait and see on Austin. But I think I might lean corner for position value here over the other well, two. It's hard to it's hard to get around. We haven't seen enough from those young linebackers yet. It's, yeah, it's hard to get around Milano as a fifth rounder plowing through and getting into getting a second contract and being all pro. But he's by himself there right yeah, now. Yeah, he's by himself a little bit. And they only play two. So the other guys are like just fill-ins, right? So they yeah, it, tough we to don't know how impact. good they could be, right? They can't make an impact tough because they can't get impact. on the field because in front of Tremaine and Matt Milano is with the more open competition in this training camp is that I would anticipate Maybe we'll find out about, you know, Specter and Bernard, Bernard and mm-hmm. and uh, the rest of them. Is there Williams. is there a more fruitful position than corner? And keep in mind, we're not even counting Trey or Kyrie Elam with first rounders out of the discussion. More fruitful position than cornerback over the years, just in general. Uh, I would say probably tight end. Tight end, okay, Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox. Uh, Not counting first-rounders again. Right, and then... Uh, yeah, Tommy Sweeney. Tommy Sweeney is the guy I was looking for. Um, uh, yeah, I, that's pretty... Because they didn't pick very many of them. And, that's and that's this, it. And this now guy they picked, Kincaid, who we can't count, which kind of colors my judgment, maybe. But Sweeney, yeah, I'm, and Dawson in his second contract. I might you know, go offensive tackle here. Because at least you got Deion Dawkins, your starting yeah, left Spencer tackle, Brown. second round pick. Spencer Brown, your starting right tackle. Tommy Doyle, fifth round pick. Alec Anderson, undrafted. Luke Tenuta last year really mm-hmm. didn't stick. I think he's an indie now, though, so he's in the league. Um, but you got your starting left tackle and your starting right tackle. So I think I would probably go offensive tackle for a fruitful, yeah, that's a good one fruitful too. position. Let me ask you this: Can you argue kicker? Since the Bills are batting a very high percentage there in the one. draft, one for one in the Bean McDermott era. I mean, the kid is. You got his second border, contract. You got his second contract, and he's borderline Pro Bowl material. He's money, yes, absolutely. If he wasn't kicking in Buffalo, he'd be better. I mean, if it wasn't for Justin Tucker and, uh, and what's his name in Kansas City, I mean, he's probably a Pro Bowl guy for Butker. the AFC. Is it Butker in Kansas City? Yeah, Harris, uh, um, Harrison Butker. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing too. We, I mean, that's what he's up against. We've seen, we've seen Tucker, the best kicker of the generation. Yeah, Tucker comes in. He struggled in. Guy this Guy locks build. up the AFC Pro Bowl but bid also, every year. He also struggled in this building. Tucker did. But that's when true. When he came in, now, that's true. He kicks in Baltimore. He kicks in Baltimore. On it's on grass and it's all that. But in, in this building, in this region, 
Tyler Bass has been as good as any kicker this team has ever had. Be an 87% kicker here. That's <laughs> in this building. Yeah, you're right. Good. Uh, so yeah, that's. You might have an argument there. Well, it's a hundred. They're batting a thousand. So okay. <laughs> well, let's see if the let's see if the Patriots bat a thousand after drafting a kicker and a punter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll you know, see. they do what they do. Uh, we turn now to NFL Network analytics expert Cynthia Freeland to break down some of the nuanced statistical intricacies of the Bills' 2023 draft class. Here is Cynthia. All right, first, Cynthia, good to have you in here. I think you are our first in-studio pod guest, so How congratulations well. on that. This, this Thanks is for such stopping a special by. honor. Yes. yes, it is. We've saved it for you. Uh, no, I really appreciate <laughs> that. So good to see you. We usually don't see you until August, mm-hmm. so this is an, a special early treat for us, but we're you know, chopping up draft stuff and positional value, round value, all that jazz. Was there anything in the Bills draft this year that you said, ooh, I like what they did there? Well, I think the whole thing I liked. Yeah. First of all, I love finding out now that Latavius Murray and the signing of Latavius Murray coincided with the actual draft because right. to me that's really smart instead of forcing some sort of square peg in a round hole, mm-hmm. getting a running back in one of the later rounds that maybe wasn't exactly the right fit for what this in- entire organization wants to do. So love that. But I think the value, it's really hard to argue with the value you got at 59 for Osiris Torrance, who, mm-hmm. by the way, I think every third mock draft, pro- I actually think I might have mocked them, oh, yeah. Osiris Torrance, Everybody back in the beginning, right. had Torrance mm. at least a, as a thought for the for the Bills at 27. So huge value all the way at 59. And then, of course, you, you said it uh, in the run-up to this, you love how teams double down. I so love you, that strategy. Osiris Torrance may be a great guy and all that, but also broker – Throwing him in at the end, a real tough guy down inside with some experience at tackle, but certainly kind of the make sure pick. Yeah, and I mean, look, both of the guards allowed exactly zero sacks on passing snaps last season, which is very helpful. But the interesting part, you actually saw it last year with Kyrie Elam and then doubling down with Christian Benford, and then you saw the contribution that Benford made right off the bat. So the reality is, is I believe Brandon Bean and Coach McDermott, when they talk about, you know, once you get on the team, it's best player available. We're going to, it doesn't matter where you were drafted. And getting that guard position right is really important because the Bills, if you measure the distance from tackle to tackle, they actually line up wider than every other team, which means the gaps are bigger, which means the guards are important, which means, as you can see, this all flows down to Josh and pressure. If you're measuring that, you're kind of a goner. Yeah, you're around the bend on that if you know all that stuff. The Bills line up wider. Okay. Um, But but the thing about that is... Good for you. Did they just just get insulted? Bless your heart. Bless your heart. That is... Well, the reason he thinks you're around the bend is because there's no way in hell that Steve would spend the kind of time that you do on that. That's stuff. I got things. He just I wouldn't. Gotta, I got he things. Just flat I gotta, out not wouldn't. all of us I got, can have your illustrious career. That's right. That we can that's use right. To that's help right. Us get yeah. into this, I got right? grandkids. I got kids. I got. I got things. I got to do. You know. Bum, I got yeah. bums of linemen. That's but what you're, I meant. That's right. what but I got my whole d- master's thesis in. Bums of linemen. There you go. Mm-hmm. But your yeah. doubling down uh, premise is something that Brandon Bean has done a lot. Now, on purpose, I don't know. He might just tell you, "I'm just taking the best player available." But there is a long history there, even though he's only overseen six drafts now. You've got Spencer Brown and yep. Tommy Doyle, same draft. Mm-hmm. Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, same draft, mm-hmm. same position. You mentioned Benford and Elam. 
And I think Spectre there's and, and then Bernard. You, right. And then you even had uh, Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins. So you, there are a lot of examples of that doubling down in your conversations with general managers. Has it ever come up when they where they talk about taking multiple swings at one position that we have I have had a number of conversations with not even not only general managers but also some of the regional scouts saying yeah, this guy people. would go with this guy this guy would go with this guy or we're just not great at coaching this position or this is a new position for a new regime right when sometimes when teams switch over with a new coach and maybe there's a legacy GM they're like well we have to think a little bit different but there's always that kind of it takes a minute for like yeah. the left hand to talk sure. to the right hand so yeah. and we've seen we've had the conversation you know New England has trouble drafting wideouts right and you know so teams do have kind of blind spots Browning calls yeah. them but I was I want to ask you too we've seen in the run up to this we're light years beyond height, weight, and coming from a big school, right? Football factory. Now they're finding these guys everywhere. And in the history Tulane. of the right history <laughs> of the draft, we've had Hall of Famers who were undrafted rookie free agents and the mm-hmm. first pick of the draft and everything mm-hmm. in between. What are your thoughts on, you know, the psychological profiling, yep. the intelligence test, the S two, and the Wonderlick, uh, the interview processes, and now teams hire psychologists to like, okay, what are we looking at? What's this guy like kind of thing? Uh, what are your thoughts on all that and how, because they still miss. Yep. So there's some things that I think are really useful. So for example, look, like any data point you're going to give any NFL team, they're going to at least look at to consider. But some things are a waste of your time and some things aren't. Like I'd be willing to say that CJ Stroud, who many thought did not do well on the S2 test or was at least widely reported, not by me, I didn't report right. it, I just listened to the reports, that maybe he didn't do well. But I watched his film from Ohio State and I also spoke to his coach and I also did a lot of computer sure. vision study on him, and I still felt comfortable saying he is the most accurate and therefore highest floor quarterback in this draft. So in my opinion, it's kind of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You need yeah. to be very honest with who you are and wh- what a bill is, for example. And if you can say this person is a bill, this is a person we're willing to to do this for or not that for. Mm-hmm. And you can't have a team of exceptions, but you should right. make exceptions for some people on the team. How do you interpret conflicting information? That's a real problem, right? You got this guy says, well, I don't know, he stinks. And this guy says, I don't know, I think he's the best thing ever, you know? Right. And then... Well, that's why she did all the homework. Right, they bring all the evidence. Well, let me see. Yeah, that's kind of your problem. It's the evidence that they look at, but sometimes it conflicts. Yeah, I guess at the the end of the day, you have to say, all right, let's get my decision makers on my team on board because you are looking for a bill, meaning you want to put a square peg in a square hole. You don't want to try to force just because consensus says that. See, for me, when I when I was watching Bryce Young, he had the best film in all of college football. When I map what I think is important and what, I, what my studies have shown, it says he could have a longer runway to becoming a great pro than other people, right? So that, that's, that was what I was going off of. I go off of kind of my stuff, right? right? But if I'm, but I can't, who am I to say that like whatever Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich did, they've, they felt comfortable taking him one overall. It becomes more of a daunting task later on in the draft when you're talking about who can contribute on teams and is this person have a real chance to make our team, et cetera. Like that's where things become, you have to say we are comfortable with these resume holes or we are comfortable with this information saying, I, to me, 
I think all the testing is great, but I think that you have to become really good interviewers. I would frankly spend the money that they spend on these like S2 or Wonderlic and do, teach my staff how to become better interviewers right. because I don't think it's necessarily natural that I, just because I'm a VP of player development doesn't mean I know how to interview people. Maybe I've cultivated mm -hmm. that, but uh, I mean, a lot of people go to business school or learn. you have to learn those things. So right. spend the money on that to see if you like the person and yeah. you think you can teach them. Ask the right questions so you get the answers. Right, that you're good data from good that. answer. Yeah. bad data, bad answer. And it's not so, really about the answers; it's how the guy right. answers. It's how he answers. Mm -hmm. You know, well, it's who it's he is, substance right? and the way exactly. In which he answers. Right, yeah, right. That's right. Premium positions, Cynthia. We hear them all the time yep. now, and more and more, we see teams in round one gravitating towards those quote unquote premium positions: quarterback, pass rusher, corner, wide receiver, offensive tackle. I think I got all of them. Yeah, you did. Um, and then you have the Bills who trade up for a tight end. And, a, and on the outside, the immediate reaction was, tight end in the first round? Oh, my God. <laughs> now, there, as we know, there are always exceptions. And value for the premium positions changed right in front of them. Like four receivers went off the board in a row right in front of them. Yep. So there was no value left there. So what can you say about... <laughs> The Bills pick of Kincaid, I don't know if you have any mm -hmm. analytic data on him mm -hmm. that you'd like to share, yep. but what can you say about that when, you know, you say, when people on the outside say, wow, tight end's not a premium position, why are you <laughs> taking that in the first round? Well, two things. The first is that this draft was widely believed to be maybe not as deep of a first round talent draft as we've seen in recent seasons. Like we've seen wide receivers that have been absolutely huge contributors in mm -hmm. the middle of the second round in the past two seasons. This season, that wasn't necessarily what the consensus belief was or what the data would suggest. Mm -hmm. Second, just in general, I think if you were to ask a lot of evaluators, and I asked a lot, how many players in this draft are truly like what we'd think first round? It's like, maybe 15. So in some ways you could consider Kincaid as a second round pick just from the level of talent that is is was available for kind of everyone and it is probably the best tight end draft we've seen in right. a really long time. So you're getting the best tight end and you're getting him in a spot 25 is late. It's not like you're picking him. You didn't pick him, you know, fifth, right? This is this is a much later pick. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, is how will you use Kincaid? And the amount of use and utility, being able to use 12 personnel in such an interesting way with Josh Allen, meaning you'll be able to have him catch passes. You'll be able to have him help you stay you were best on third down last season. The Bills were number one on third down mm -hmm. conversions. That's an area where people will be gunning for Josh. Like, you're really going to let him mm -hmm. do that two years in a row right. to you? Uh-uh. So you have to change the strategy. And I believe Brandon and Coach, when they talk about that Cole Beasley-like factor, not that he's Cole Beasley, but that factor of, like, just confusing that, like, area in between the hashes and making everyone have to get – maybe it creates more space for some of the guys on the perimeter. Okay. Or maybe it's Kincaid himself that can – Okay, who cares who? Right. It's the net effect of all of it. Mm -hmm. So he's helpful on third down, probably the most crucial down. That's going to be huge. All right, so we've got all this stuff about, you know, everybody snap judge all these teams like two hours after the you draft. You know, why right? wouldn't you? Because right. what exactly. else does anyone have to right. do on a and, Thursday and night? not only that, let's mock draft next year already. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So, um, but what's the f when you see teams that are consistently good or, or GMs that uh, everybody misses, mm -hmm. What is the philosophy between, of course, the need that your team has on a roster? You trying to get without, a, you try to go to the draft without a need. 
so you can get the best player available. Right. It's really hard to do. And how do you balance that with a draft board that's shallow at the top? It's like there's not that many. There's not that many good guys left. Right. But you got to draft a need. You got to draft the best player available, and you got the mix of a draft board that's really not that enticing. Get clear on what it is that you believe you want to do, and make sure you can do that clearly. Now, after the draft, we can see interior offensive line was an area of need, an area of focus, something that, look, they luck, whatever, you got, you got the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Those long arms, like that is the prototype for a bill. And he's like, just, that man's massive. Right. Osiris Torrance is right. huge, mm-hmm. like 34-inch arms. Like, his feet are this long and his, they're flat. I mean, they're, you know, the, you can't move him. No, I, I wouldn't want to try, actually. Right. That's, yeah. <laughs> no, so no, thank you. He's but, built for it. But so it's, it's, you're lucky, though. Like, sometimes you have to match your needs with what is on the board. There were some guards that, like, if you needed a tackle, you would have had to trade up, you right. know? It, and, and that was just the way that it was going to fall, right? But if you, if you wanted to, I mean, I guess Jacksonville sort of, they traded down and still got Anton Harrison, but so whatever. But, like, you know, if you wanted one of those really elite tackles, you had to trade up. Mm-hmm. But you didn't need that. So what you're doing now is you're saying, okay, our priorities are X. And like I said about the running back example, they, you could say that the Bills went into the draft needing a running back. Well, they, they got one. They didn't mm-hmm. necessarily draft one, but they right. still got their running back, and it was during draft time. Mm-hmm. Last question for you. Back to premium positions. Mm-hmm. Are we getting to a point in the league now where teams with, for example, franchise quarterbacks that are gobbling up a lot of the cap are leaning towards premium positions throughout their draft selections to keep costs low at the high-priced positions. Corner, wide receiver, edge rusher. I'm going to give you an example. If you look at Kansas City's draft, Mm -hmm. every single pick they made, with the exception of one, which was a defensive tackle, every other pick was a premium position. Defensive end, corner, wide receiver. They didn't draft a quarterback. They don't have to. But you know what I'm saying. Almost their entire draft class were premium positions. Our GMs moving in that direction to keep costs low at the high-priced positions. I think they'd ideally like to, right? We saw the cap go up about eight percentage points this past season, mm-hmm. and quarterback pay is going up way higher than that, yeah, a much faster rate. It, yeah. It's definitely outpacing it. So I, what I would say is that people would ideally like to draft those premium positions, and that's why you saw six trades in the first round. I mean, there were some teams that did some stuff that would be counter-indicating to that, like the Lions, but, you know, drafting a high running back and a high linebacker. But at the end of the day, I mean, the NFC, you don't necessarily, they've right. got a top five quarterback, yeah. and that's not it's the, the rele- same. It's the relegation conference. <laughs> it's not It's not wrong. <laughs> but look, but, but at the end of the day, you'd love to keep those premium positions right. down. But at, I'll say this, though. Look at the Chiefs as an example. But they had to. Yes, but they also... They were willing to say goodbye to maybe the most dangerous wideout in the league today, and, and Tyreek Hill said, "Listen, we didn't want to pay him. <laughs> they we're keeping costs low. They, you, it's hard to say goodbye to a difference maker." She has a counterpoint. I, I do it. have a counterpoint because what my knowledge and belief is about that situation was when they agreed to make that trade. One, they were talking about price and how to keep everything in the cap because they were deficient at corner. They needed to. They had, they had nine rookies playing the Super Bowl. So right. that's just, you yeah. don't always get that lucky. Let's, let's be clear. You don't always get that lucky. But 
they were comfortable letting him go because they were like, all right, we're going to use Travis in a different way. Sure. Travis lined up in completely different spots this season than he had the prior three seasons. We're going to figure out with these wide receivers that are available because there were so many wide receivers in the draft. There were more free agent wide receivers that they could at least get a year of tread on. They weren't trying to keep everyone. Clearly they didn't, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's they, they looked at the market. They said, we have Patrick. We're going to get production of this. We need to address our O-line. We need to figure this out. And then this year we got Frank and Chris. We're not going to be able to keep Frank and Chris next year. So we have to keep planning for that. But at the same time, they are paying premium positions very highly, not corner, but the other ones they are paying very, mm -hmm. very, very, very well. Right. But they were able to do that because they said, we're going to pay Travis, we're going to pay Patrick, we're going to pay Chris, and work from that. That's right. the nucleus. But right. they found needs based on the market, what's right. available. Cynthia, such a treat to have you here in May. Thank you, <gasps> you for know? stopping by here on Bills by the Numbers. We appreciate it. Uh, and all of your NFL Network nerdy number insights you know thank you i love having <laughs> I my nerdy number insights <laughs> they're, they're really great so thank thanks you. for that and awesome. breaking down the bills draft we appreciate it thanks for having me we remind you that we are brought to you by FanDuel, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Download the app today and make every moment more. The app is easy and simple to use with generous promotions offered every day, safe and secure with the best in-class customer service, and your winnings paid out in as little as two hours. Time to spin the wheel on the numbers game. And for Steve this time around, we're going to see how well Steve knows the Bean McDermott draft era. Steve, are Oof. you ready? All right, let's go. We're going to see if Steve can <clears throat> guess what positions were picked the most from 2017 to 2023 in certain rounds. So we'll begin, Steve, with what position do you believe was the most popular for the Bills in the Bean McDermott era in the sixth round? A lot of picks um, in the sixth round. Let me let me count them up. Three, six, nine, ten, eleven picks in the sixth round well, over the, the conversation we had a minute ago I would have said corner but I think I'm going to say wide out wide receiver and you would be correct by a hair wide receiver three picks in round six very good who is it who are they do you know Ray Ray McLeod Isaiah Hodgins okay and Marquez Stevenson oh my gosh wow corner had two safety had two that'll tell you how hard this yeah it's a hard team to get on, man. Well, yes. It's not It's not like those were bad picks. It's just good luck getting on this roster right. and sticking. Yeah. Even on the practice squad. I mean, think about Hodgins. Hodgins goes to New York and starts catching touchdowns right like, away. He finished second on the team in receiving touchdowns. He was on the practice squad here for three years. He could, could not, get, not on the get on the field. Could not get on the field. He could not get a game day jersey. Yeah. I liked him when they picked him. Yeah. Uh, question number two. There is a three-way tie for positions most often selected by the Bills in the Bean McDermott era for round five. I need you to guess two of those three positions. Linebacker. That is one, correct? You need one more. Corner. It is not corner. Whatever. I'll give you one more shot at it. All right. It. Uh, fifth two. round. Offensive. Can I say offensive line or FC tackle? Offensive line offensive is fine. Line. That's still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you say whatever you want. The three-way tie for positions most often selected by the Bills in the B. McDermott era, round five. Linebacker, as Steve guessed. Wide receiver again. Oh, man. Again. And quarterback. Quarterback? Jake Fromm, 
Nathan Peterman. Both fifth round picks. Wow. Okay. He yeah. Got me in that, right? that was something else. Uh, yeah, the receivers were Shakir and Shorter the two last two years. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, question three. Can you name all four defensive ends taken by the Bills in the draft in the Bean McDermott era? Sure. All four defensive ends picked. Boogie Basham, Greg Rousseau. Correct, correct. AJ Epinesa. Yep, three for three. Can he get the last one? This one's the toughie. Shaq Lawson. Nope, oh, that's that was, before. That was, that was the year that before was, they got here. Dang it. 2016. I will give you a hint. Seventh round pick. Is he still on the roster? He is not, but he is still in the league. Oh, uh, no, it's not Harrison. I'll give you another hint. No. He was traded. Oh, jeez. Nah, you're, you're blank completely. That, you just, like, that turned, didn't my, help you just you. turned my light out. <laughs> I'm trying you to may as well turn you. my light out. <laughs> I thought that would help. Ah, I'm trying to think. You know how you, when you're trying to think of something, they say something, it totally takes you off track? They traded him. Wait. Seventh round pick. He played on here's this will help you. Who'd they trade him to? He played no, on special back. teams. Oh, yeah. Uh can uh the big guy fr- went to Carolina, can't, uh Johnson. Daryl Johnson. Johnson. There you go, Steve. Great special teams. I should have known that. I should have given the special teams guy oh, the special teams man. clue first That's instead right. of the trade clue. That was Last, Yeah, he was a good player, man. He's yeah. still playing. Last question. What percentage of Bills draft picks from 2017 to 2023? are still on Buffalo's roster. So keep in mind, we're counting this year's draft class. They're all here right now, so they count. So what's the percentage of Bill's draft choices over the last seven drafts a, a good, still on the roster? Hitting it hitting it out of the park is getting 50% of them right. I'm not going to say 50. I'll say 40%. It's actually 57%. Really? 29 out of 51 picks still on Buffalo's wow, roster. That's, really that's pretty good. good. I did not take the time to see what the league average is, but I would venture to guess that is above the league average. Because I tend to think you're on the money with. It's hard. Every one of these picks from the first round all the way down to the seventh round is a coin flip is where they're going to be any good, if bust or not. But if you got, you know, as you get it, if the higher rounds, they, they stick around whether they're good or not. Yeah. So that skews that number. A seventh rounder, they kick to the curb fast. So those guys really got to be good. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of skews the numbers on both both ends. But if they if you can bat a 500, yeah. one out of every two, that's why everybody wants so many draft picks. Yeah. You got a chance. That's where I, ah, well. That's, pretty good that's, job there that's in the numbers good, game. Above and 50%. It, it is an encouraging percentage for sure. It's time to discuss roster breakdown. Roster breakdown, Chris. What are you, nuts in May? Yes, because it's our one burning question. With the addition of free agent defensive tackle Puna Ford just three days after the draft was over, what do you think the breakdown of the defensive line will be, Steve, if they only keep nine on the active roster? Last year, they kept five defensive ends, four defensive tackles. Does it flip this year, knowing Puna Ford is the fifth defensive tackle added to the core four on the roster from last year? I do not. I think they're going to, if they stay with that, I think they're going to have five defensive ends. It's going to be Groot, 
Rousseau, Shaq, Epinesa, Boogie, and Vaughn Miller. Mm-hmm. Vaughn, they, they, they list Vaughn as a linebacker. But right, he's a, but we know. He, yeah. he, they list him as that so right. that he can wear jersey number 40. Right, so they got, they got those five guys. And on the, the defensive tackle, you got to think Puna Ford is on, Daquan, Jordan Phillips, and Ed. So that says that means you might have to say goodbye to Brandon Bryant. Well, that's and Tim Settle. Yeah, the Tim Settle is the is the if then. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: Do you think they keep ten I defensive do. linemen? I do. Here's where I think you can. Keep, ro- this is what 10. I think you can do, because as you know, you've got to rob from one position to accommodate right. another. You only put two linebackers on the field. Last year, Steve, they carried seven linebackers. Right. For a team that only plays two. And I understand the special teams dimension, but right. seven? That's fat. Here's what I've been thinking about. And you talk about roster breakdown. I think one of the reasons they one of the reasons they played two linebackers constantly, nickel defense, nickel defense, nickel defense, was Tremaine. And I think with a new defensive coordinator and new combinations they can go with at linebacker, we may see this team get out of that. I'm thinking more three safety. That, yes, maybe. Either way, they're gonna, I think they're going to have more personnel combinations defensively than we've seen over the last four years because of so, okay, so, now that Tremaine is out of the mix. All right, so now that we're saying that, do you still think that this team's going to need seven linebackers? No, no right? No. So I think, I think no. six tops, right. like maybe even five, maybe even five. Yeah, and I'll say this. All your linebackers, if, if without Tremaine in the mix, all your linebackers are now kind of the same guy anyway. Yeah. The guy that stands out is A.J. Klein because he weighs 250 pounds. Everybody else is Milano, Dorian yeah. Williams, Bernard. Yeah, I think Dodson's the only other guy over 235. Right. So Klein is 240, and I think Dodson's like 238. Now, you're going to need some guys to cover kicks, and I get all of that. And But you do have a wide receiver come in there that weighs 228, 6'4", yeah. 228, who can cover kicks. You know, so uh, that's... I see 10 defensive linemen on this roster. I also see 10 offensive linemen yeah, on shorter this roster. Can, shorter can take one of those linebacker spots on special teams because he's pretty good at it. He's, he's going to be in the running for a gunner. Right. Well, he'll play gunner too, but yeah. it's all the same. Like, like the Jake Kumaro role. Right, whatever, you know what I mean? whatever spot that is. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. And because all the linebackers are kind of the same guy, you do need some beef up front to protect those guys in the run game. Yeah, because they're all smallish. They're all smallish. So that may be the the robbing Peter to pay Paul and put the weight from the linebacker position up into the front four. Yeah. I, so I, so maybe the burning question is was asked in, incorrectly. Do you see ten defensive linemen on I, the roster? I kind of do. I think so. I think so. I mean, I guess unless somebody performs poorly, you know, somebody has a bad camp or a but bad it's, preseason. It's striking that they would not get out of two linebackers last year yet carried seven on the game day. Isn't roster. that crazy? I mean, that, I, that I is, get special teams <clears throat> being important, but that almost seemed like a luxury exercise. And, and, and might be, and maybe, um, maybe Matt Smiley has that kind of juice, and he said, "Listen, I'll do it, but you got to give me these guys on." Yeah, and and they got to do it. 
Um, but you got to think too. I'd kind of like to see him carry seven wideouts as well. Yes, with return I, with the return, both kickoff and punt return being two different guys, theoretically. Yeah, and having a guy and having enough guys to multiple your offense with different roles. I'm. Yeah, I didn't do the roster stats last year on the breakdown of how many teams carried seven receivers. Two years ago, there were five teams. That carried seven receivers. Were there more last year? I'll have to go back and look. Maybe that's a future Bills by the Numbers podcast subject. But I'll have to check to see if the number's increasing or staying flat or decreasing. Because, as we know, more and more every year it's a throwing league and you need those bodies. Um, we'll see. I'm very interested. Now I'm interested. Now I'm going to have to go back. <laughs> now I'm going to have to see. Right, yeah, and I'm- see what the prospects are for the likelihood of the Bills you know, moving in that same direction. They may not because of the player they just took in the first round, Dalton Kincaid. They may right. not. Right. And also, well, they don't have that many guys. I mean, Kincaid's going to be one guy, but he can't be two. I mean, they got three, three, right. but three tight again, ends. But one, right. But once again, you're running into that position balance. You know, where are you going to take seven if you have a – There's a – yeah. There's a couple of wild cards. seven? Right. There's a couple of wild cards in it. Sean McDermott's calling the defenses. He might have a different philosophy, and, yep. the, and the personnel needs may change as a result. We don't know any of that. Yeah. Going to be some juicy discussion points come roster, yeah, roster put breakdown you on. time. That's, that's your assignment for training camp. What kind of Fair enough. I will running, jot that down. So I don't have to. Our closing figure <laughs> deals with Bill's draft choices who participated in the Senior Bowl. I thought you would find this interesting, Steve. During the Bean McDermott era, 49% of their draft choices participated in the Senior Bowl. 25 of their 51 picks since 2017 went down to Mobile, practiced, and played during the week. Buffalo picked three more this year. Osiris Torrance, Dorian Williams, and Nick Broker. It makes a difference for players that are eligible for that game to get down and there and it. compete. <clears throat> and I get it. that Some of these guys, you know, Bryce Young and... You know Will Anderson and some of the guys at the very tippy top of the draft. That it's not they for don't them. need to be. It's there. not for them, but for guys like you're talking about who are in the mix for a lot of teams, maybe because of the how the draft order comes down, it's invaluable. I I I really recommend young guys getting as much exposure to that as possible because they're getting into a in front of pro coaches. Yep, standing right there watching your practice, watching you get coached, watching you adjust yourself, watching how you interact with your teammates. That is as good as it gets for giving teams as much information as they can as they may draft. And then secondarily, it's also good for them on ramping to the NFL because they're getting coached by NFL coaches. That's right. So they'll see, oh, this is kind of what a practice week is like. Okay. You know what I mean? All that stuff. So, yeah, it's beneficial in a number of ways. You know, and our good friend Jim Nagy, who runs that thing down there, he, I mean, he's really, it. it's blossomed under his leadership. The Senior more. Bowl is absolutely a revolving door towards the draft. Guys that go there get drafted. Yep. Because teams get to know them. And, and le- <clears throat> unless you got something to hide or protect, you need to play in that game. Yeah. That'll do it for this edition. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when the next episode comes out. And remember, when you need to know about the bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next time, everybody!